Hi, and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. And it is spooky dookie season. So uh, what are we doing? How's everyone feeling about the Halloweens? I am known as somebody who doesn't like the Halloweens because I do not like costumes. I know, you absolute monster. So the thing is, I love being comfortable in every aspect of my life, and I don't find costumes comfortable, socially or physically. You can literally wear a onesie as a costume. Yeah, but like, couples costumes have like, a need to be couple-y. My boyfriend's going as Arthur Morgan from Red Dead Redemption 2. I guess he's not my boyfriend anymore. What's your news, Amy? (laughs) (laughs) My fiancé is going as Arthur Morgan from uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. Yeah, you you can hear me telling... Chantel for the first time at the end of this episode. In case you didn't know, we put an Easter egg in every single episode at the end of every single episode. So go listen to that. Yeah, so if you stop listening before the end of the episode, you're usually missing out because they're the most hilarious outtake, generally speaking. They're the things that were like, nobody's going to listen to this. So please go listen to it. <laughs> but yeah, so I, anyways, we'll see. I, I might just go with a nondescript cow person. A cow person. Okay. Rancher? Ranches? I really hate Halloween. Well, I do not have a costume because I don't know if we're going out, but I have planned many a Halloween event throughout the month. So this past weekend, we went to a murder mystery improv show with our good friends. That's cool. And next weekend, we're going to like an illusion light display with our other good friends. And it's, it's going to be all fun. Yeah. I love Halloween. And we're also watching Midnight Mass, which is very trauma. Um, so that's good. <laughs> Doesn't sound good. Anything by Mike Flanagan is going to be all the trauma. But we all know that because we've all been talking about it on Twitter lately. Adaptations of Hill House and Bly Manor and stuff recently. Probably because Words About Books talked about Hill House and stole our, our whole shtick. <sighs> Word About Books and I have <laughs> words to have with each other. Are they about um, books? Yeah, mostly. Um, about them <laughs> stopping to steal our stuff. But I changed our Google password. Words about books, get your own book list. <laughs> ben, get your own book list at ab.com. We we really appreciate words about books and all. It, this is all just. Oh, yeah. But also, it's our two-year anniversary. Oh, yeah, it is our two-year anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. How cute. How quaint. We're halfway through a degree. It does not feel like it's been that long. No. Time flies when you're having fun with friends. Ha ha ha. (laughs) I'm glad that you don't think that it's felt that long because you pull most of the weight in this podcasting relationship, which is appreciated. And I think that people need to know that I edit very little of our episodes, partially because of Chantal's control issues, um, and also partially because uh, it's just easier to have the same editor all the time. That is true facts, but also Amy is the one who's going for the perfect attendance record, so has not yet missed an episode. We'll see, though. No, we're fine. So because we started our podcast during spooky season, which is now, and there's nothing (laughs) spookier than witches and communism... My two favorite things. <laughs> We're going to be talking about The Crucible by Arthur Miller this week. Amy has read this. I have not read this, so I'm going to be the peanut gallery <laughs> that Amy sometimes says. Oh, what a twist those twists. <laughs> Amy's often the peanut gallery because Amy is a comedian, not an intellectual. Role reversal time. Yes. So we're doing The Crucible by Arthur Miller. This play was written in 1953. Miller, first name Arthur. Great start. 
I'm not used to being on this side. I was born in 1915. <laughs> actually on, I think, October 17th, 1915. Oh, cool. That's yesterday for yeah. us. Yeah. And he died in 2005. He's also known for Death of a Salesman, which I think a lot of people probably read in high school. I read it in high school. I read both of these in high school. I haven't read that, but it sounds hella familiar. Yeah. It's uh, one of those like famous American plays kind of thing. I actually did not know that The Crucible was a play, even when you told me we were going to be talking about it today. I definitely thought it was a book. Yeah, there's also a 1996 production uh, with Winona Ryder, in case you want to go watch it afterwards. Cool. Yeah. So Miller had three wives throughout his life and like one long-term girlfriend whose name I have forgotten because I read it after I read that he had three wives. Um, And also his daughter doesn't approve of that relationship, so I'm not going to talk about it. He had a wife named Mary, a wife named Marilyn, and a wife named Inga. Uh, Marilyn, by the way, of Monroe fame. Oh, actually? Yeah, they were married for five years. He was married to Marilyn Monroe? Yeah. Way to bury the lead. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, He was born in Harlem. Of shake fame. Yes, Harlem. Harlem of Sheikh fame. That is correct. Um, He is Jewish. Uh, Marilyn Monroe actually converted to Judaism for him. Interesting. Yeah, and his family's like of Austro-Hungarian slash Polish descent. Isn't the Crucible about, like, Christianity? Uh, I'll get to it. I'm guessing we'll get there. Like, only on the periphery, there's a whole, like, thing about, you know, people are good because they're Christian thing going on. Mm. And the whole witch hunt literally starts because of priests and stuff. So yes, but in a bad way. Yes, but it's also just like because it's Salem and witch trials. Right. So his family wasn't like super rich, but they got super rich. And then um, like his father lost all their money in the 1929 Great Depression crash thing that went on. He was part of the Leagues of American Writers, which was in cahoots with the Communist Party of America, um, who were anti-fascist people, and then they were anti-war, and then they became pro-war. That's a complicated thing. I suggest you go read the wikipedia page about it essentially dependent on how the war which way it was turning you know they were like i agree with whatever everyone else thinks well it was like they were anti-war because they disagreed with the like nazi soviet pacts and stuff but then they were pro-war later on because like the soviet union was invaded so like when the Mm -hmm. tides turned they were like yeah maybe we should defend people i really didn't explain that properly again do your own research we are not reliable um he studied journalism and has some tonys some Tony's, cool. Because his work was on the Broadway. By the way, did you know that Broadway and Off-Broadway refers to seat capacity of the theater? I did not. I thought it referred to, like, the street. No, Broadway shows have 500, like, seats per show. I definitely didn't know that at all. Wait, so does that imply that some of his plays were musicals? No, not all plays on Broadway are musicals. Uh, that is another thing I did not know. Thank you for spitting straight facts at me today. Yep, this is who I am as a person. Um... <laughs> I really hate my handwriting. He wrote The Crucible, which is another name for like people being on trial and like through extreme heat kind of thing. It's like a weird way to say furnace, I think. Oh. After his friend was brought to a house committee for un-American activities and his friend kind of like ousted a bunch of communist people. So that happened. Okay, I think I know why I thought this was more focused on Christianity because I thought that crucible was derived from crucifix. No. Okay, I'm caught up. Cool. The communist thing here becomes very intertwined with the whole witch trial thing. So 
once his friend outed a bunch of people, they had a fun like back and forth with various plays, but I'm not going to go into it because I forgot the friend's name. <laughs> but once they were outed, like the federal government of the US kind of went after a bunch of communist people because McCarthyism was a thing. Again, I'm not going to explain McCarthyism. It was some weird nationalistic thing that happened that was also very anti-communist. So at one point he tried to get his passport renewed and they said that he wasn't allowed to get his passport renewed and they brought him to this committee and the guy running the committee was like, you have to testify at this committee. Um, and Miller was like, okay, but I'm not naming any names. And then he got brought to the committee. The committee, surprise, surprise, asked him to name names of other communist people and he didn't want to. And then he was found guilty of contempt of Congress in hmm. like 57 and he was sentenced to jail and like a fine and a bunch of stuff and then in 1958 it was overturned because it was found that surprise surprise the committee hearing had not given him like a proper trial and whatever because he was told he wasn't going to need to name anybody he had an agreement with the head of the committee and then that got taken away from him kind of thing also hardcore sounds like entrapment oh yeah probably so but then later on miller and the 60s attended the democratic convention the crucible is an alleg like a direct allegory for the whole red scare that happened in the U.S., well, the second wave of the Red Scare, which was very anti-communist. McCarthy and, like, the whole U.S. government saw communists as, like, spy for Russia during the Cold War and basically took anyone who was against American ideology, like, against the patriotism and nationalism of the time and, like, witch-hunted them with very little evidence. You know, as okay. the U.S. does. That's so interesting. I think it's very interesting how the word witch-hunt has been used throughout history because witch-hunt like originally literally they were hunting witches they were hunting specifically women and they were trying to pin this thing that scientifically to the best of our knowledge does not exist definitely was not happening amongst the women that they were accusing of it and it's not that magic isn't real it's just that the magic they were saying they were doing was just like people being people like healing being a woman yeah, it was just like random bs accusations <laughs> and like all their trials were really just setting people up for failure like the sink or float one if the devil made you float in water then you were a witch so you got hanged but if you were allowed to sink then you weren't a witch so you're not guilty but then oops she drowned so too bad so sad it was basically just a way for people to get rid of women and sympathetic men and people of other genders that they did not like and then it kind of was used a lot in the communism, like weird America's hunting communists era, which like that was legit also because a lot of that was just them pinning random stuff on people who believed in like equity, I think. Yeah, a bit like what was happening was like, the second you weren't like a super pro American nationalist kind of person, like if you had any like who were really into workers rights and that kind of stuff, you were painted as a communist. Yeah. And because they were trying to find a bunch of spies because of the Cold War, like there was a certain law that was passed that they could just like basically harass whoever they wanted because they thought they were a spy. Yeah. I think there's something to be said about the Red Scare with communism related to the Red Scare of how people were scared of menstrual cycles, but I'm not going to get into that today. <laughs> 
And then now when people say witch hunt, it's usually like people in power who are afraid of getting canceled. Like Mm. I think witch hunt was the original getting canceled for people in power when they said really horrible stuff and attacked people vulnerable and were punching down and and others were like, hey, you actually can't do this and you're being really bigoted and terrible and maybe you should stop. And they were like, oh, this is a witch hunt. You know, like it's become the opposite of what it was intended as. It went from the state going after little people to little people, quote unquote, going after the state so to speak. But now the language has evolved again and it's just cancelled, which they also don't know what it means. Uh-huh. And woke culture, which they also don't know what it means. It's social justice warriors. Yeah, if if you have compassion for another person who isn't specifically the person who doesn't like that, then it's woke culture. God, I hate being awake. <laughs> yeah, some versions of The Crucible have introductions, like scene settings, a narrator, a Greek chorus, if you will, almost, before some of the acts, but not all of them. So I'm going to include them because they were in the summary I looked up. I've read this before, but I read it in like 2010, so been a while. I believe in you. Thank you. So it sets the scenes that it happens in Salem, Massachusetts. I like the word Massachusetts. I don't like spelling it, but I like saying it's it. It's meant to say. It's like Tuesday. Tuesday. With a ch sound instead of a t sound. Choo, choo. Hmm. Anyway, consonants are fun. Chirana. Don't. <laughs> So it was in like Salem, Massachusetts, we have like the Puritan culture, like not purity culture, like actual Puritans. And like it says like theological conflicts with Native Americans, which doesn't really get re- like re-explained later on in the play. But that's kind of like where we're at, you know, like we have the Puritans, they're hoity-toity, they think they're better than everyone, and they're afraid of anybody who has a different religion. Yeah. Kind of like right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Called out. Act one happens. Uh, there's this preacher guy, uh, Samuel Paris, who found his daughter. Betty with his he has a, an enslaved woman named Tituba she's from Barbados oh that was a real person yeah I read a book about her yeah maybe we'll do that um, next most people in this play are based on real people they, that's so interesting they have okay. Wikipedia page it's mostly fiction though I want to specify that it's mostly fiction it's like loosely influenced kind of like the okay. speaking Marilyn Monroe the film Blonde is based on a book that's like fictionalized versions of Marilyn. Yeah. It's all tying together. So yeah, he finds Betty in Tituba dancing naked in the woods. And now Betty's like unresponsive. He also like is the guardian of his niece, Abigail Williams, who was also present for this. Like a bunch of like the neighborhood ladies were around and dancing and stuff. And Abigail like denies that they were doing witchcraft and says that they were only dancing. But like later on, like when people are talking around like Abigail and all the other ladies who were there, like we need to like stick together and get like our story together and like figure our shit out because what they were actually doing was Abigail was asking Tituba to place a curse on Elizabeth Proctor, who is Abigail's affair guy's wife. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Abigail's hooking up with a married man. Has hooked up with a married man who was employing her. Oh, God. That seems like a really weird power imbalance. A really weird power imbalance. And now she's trying to curse the wife? And now she's trying to curse the wife because she's still very much in love with him. So they're trying to do witchcraft. Yes, but they're saying that they weren't. Okay. It's a time. I'm going to try to guess throughout your summary whether witchcraft actually exists in this in-play universe. Carry on. There's also characters named Thomas and Mrs. Putnam who are, like, Miss Putnam is blamed for witchcraft. There's a guy named Reverend Hale um, who's, like, your typical exorcist kind of guy. He comes in from a different 
parish and he's all like i'm gonna figure out who's the witch because i'm a witch hunter like um like newton and uh cotton mathers yeah who was the real person doing a lot of the witch hunting in salem who also wrote a book that i read that maybe we will talk about <laughs> so he questions paris and abigail and tituba it's a big like he said she said she said kind of thing between abigail and tituba abigail says that, like tituba made them drink blood and tituba's like yeah but they asked me to like curse someone so of course Tituba is the one who um, gets coerced into saying that she's a witch. And she also like is coerced into bringing Sarah Osborne, who's a midwife, and Sarah Good into the fold. And they also attack a Bridget Bishop. Thomas and Mrs. Putnam blame witchcraft for the death of their children because she's had like seven miscarriages or stillbirths. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Osborne was their midwife. And that's why they think that Sarah's a witch because all the babies died. So it has to be because of her kind of thing. So Miss Putnam is not a witch, but she does believe that everybody else is. I wonder if they felt like they had to believe in witchcraft because they had a hard time rationalizing why God's plan would include such suffering because early Puritan America was like a miserable place to be. Yeah. So a lot of the Puritans left England because they were religious extremists. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you can leave that pregnant pause there. (laughs) And I think, like, with religious extremists comes a lot of the need to actually have a scapegoat, you know? Right, yeah. That's, a scapegoat is from religion, essentially. And a goat is what they think the devil is related to. Yeah. So, multiple meanings. Multiple meanings. So there's always a need to explain, like, one of the reasons that religion exists is to explain the world as we know it, right? Like, it's a bunch of fables to explain the world and morality and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. At least that's how like Catholicism was taught to me. Like we weren't meant to take the Bible for cash. Like it's supposed to be interpreted and thought about and critiqued to a certain extent. But basically like I was taught that these are fables and parables that you can like read into, take what you want from them. And if you can't take anything from this one, then move on to the next one kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So anyways, they thought everybody was a witch essentially. Act two, our narrator tells us is set in like a post-World War II uh, society. Um, whereas, you know, the fear of Satan here is the fear of communism after World War II. Did we just do a time skip? No. It's just like it's setting the scene as like the kind of idea you should be getting from this. So it's just the narrator being like, in case you didn't know, this is the moral of the story. Anyway, back to the actual story. Yeah. So not all of the versions have this in it. Okay. Yeah. But you have to understand like these people just got out of World War II. So like having it be like clearly written out for them, I guess, to be like, by the way, what we're experiencing now with like the Red Scare, you know, Satan scare. Same thing. Yeah. And you're going to see a lot of injustice and I think you should pay attention to that kind of thing. So it's set in the Proctor's house. So the Proctor's, for people who have been not paying attention, is Abigail's employer, John, and his wife, Elizabeth. The one Abigail's been sleeping with? Yeah. Okay. Up to date, about 40 people have been arrested. Jesus. Yeah. John knows it's bullshit because Abigail told him it was bullshit in the previous act. So there's this character named Mary Warren who is a maid in the Proctor's house, but she's also an officer of the court now. She gives Elizabeth a doll that she made in the courts while like Abigail was going on her everybody's a witch tirades. Trex. Mary essentially saves Elizabeth from being accused because she's like, oh, she's like a super good person. Like she would never tell a lie, that kind of stuff, you know? John won't do the right thing, which is to tell people that it's bullshit because if he tells people that it's bullshit, then Abigail's gonna tell that he's an adulterer and that would be bad because he's a Christian. Of course. So it's much better to be directly responsible for people's torture and death. Yeah, you'll see how this 
also accepted. So Hale, the reverend who came to do the investigations, comes and interviews uh, the proctors and asks John to give him the Ten Commandments. If he's true to his who he is, he's going to give him the Ten Commandments. And he forgets, thou shall not commit adultery. Oh no. John! John! So John basically tells Hale's like, yo, like this is all fake, you know, they're making it up. And Hale's like, yeah, but like they've all been named and what do you want me to do about it kind of thing. And like if we go back now, then it discredits everyone. Like, tough. I have evidence, basically. Which is kind of what was happening in the Red Scare, you know, that they were naming a bunch of communists without any evidence kind of thing. Yeah. So the parallels are there, guys. Then a bunch of other people show up and Elizabeth is accused of witchcraft because of the puppet that Mary gave her, Abigail theatrically portrays that she's been stabbed in the abdomen by a needle that she says Elizabeth put through her via a doll. Of course, Abigail had seen Mary creating the doll. She has seen? Yeah. So she knows the doll exists, knows it's probably going to Elizabeth, and is just pinning it on Elizabeth. Okay, first of all, I didn't think that the witchcraft was real up to this point. Is it real or is it like all... No, it's not real. It's not real. So it's really just like phantom pains. It's like a placebo. It's not even a placebo effect. It's literally Abigail trying to get Elizabeth killed. What a a dick. Yeah. Oh, no. She wants Elizabeth dead because she wants to be with John. I don't think that's going to work out. Mm, Yeah. No, it's not. I don't think he's going to get with you after you get his wife and probably him killed. Yeah. Some might say that would not be good. It will not be... It's not good. It's not good. So as they're trying to like arrest... Elizabeth. Um, John becomes angered. He tears up the arrest warrants. Elizabeth tries to calm him down. Um, He calls Hale a coward because every accuser's utterance goes unchallenged. But, you know, there's a secret crime that needs to be brought out, is what Hale says. So John takes Mary to court with him, exposes the other girl's lies. So John wants Mary to go to court to expose the lies and she's like no I don't want to do that anyways because Mary's like no I put I put the needle in the in the doll like she saw me do it anyways it's a lot of he said she said kind of thing mm-hmm. so that brings us to act three 37 days later and we're at a trial for Martha Corey Martha Corey yeah she's a she's a new new any relation to Giles Corey yes I guess she's his wife he's one of my two favorite victims of the Salem witch trials. He's very well portrayed here. He's a friend of the Proctors. He does a lot of, like, he does a deposition at one point to try and like make sure that people know that people aren't witches. It's a, I'll get into it. He's very well represented in the, 90, in the 1996 version of the play. Exciting. So John and Mary go to the trial and they inform a guy named Deputy Governor Danforth and Judge Hawthorns about the girl's lies. Danforth tells them that Elizabeth is pregnant um, and she's going to be spared from her hanging until the baby's born. Because babies, more important than women. How charitable. How charitable. John submits a deposition signed by 91 people attesting to the good character of Elizabeth, Rebecca Nurse, and Martha Corey, but it's dismissed because it's illegal. Um, and uh, Reverend Hale says, like, you know, it's weird, like, the people who are being accused here aren't allowed to defend themselves. <laughs> they can only be like, yes, I do witchcraft, or no, I don't. And if you say, yes, I do witchcraft, you're jailed and you lose all your possessions. And if you say, I didn't do witchcraft, you're like you can't prove it then you're dead the other thing about if you say you don't do witchcraft um is a lot of the people who did that were the most pious people yeah because you would just have to say yeah i'm a witch and then you would at least survive 
like you could at least save yourself. Mm -hmm. But the people who thought if I lie, then I'm going to hell, I might as well tell the truth, die, and then I get to go to heaven at least. Those were the people who got punished. Yeah. And a lot of it had to do with like the invisible nature of witchcraft because like, well, how can we prove that you're not a witch? Because magic is invisible, you know? Yeah. So in the same line of things that are going on, Giles Corey submits his own deposition accusing Thomas Putnam of making accusations of witchcraft against people to buy up their land uh, because if they were convicted and they confessed, they lost their land. Yeah. So then it becomes a real estate problem. Giles refuses to say like where he got his information from, gets arrested, and eventually he is tortured by crushing, which is you're basically tied down and then they put rocks on you until you either confess or die. And he doesn't confess and is tortured to death because if he had confessed, he would have lost his property, whether he lived or died. But if he didn't mm-hmm. confess, his sons could get his property. Yeah. And he is really cool here. And I actually, I would like to talk about Cotton Mather's account, The Witch Hunter, because Giles Corey's like the coolest person ever. He was a complete badass, like right till the end. Yeah. At no point in time did he waver in what he in his beliefs, you know? Mm-hmm. He was like a good through and through kind of person. So John submits Mary's deposition, which declared that she was coerced to accuse people by Abigail. Abigail's like, no, that's not true. And then a bunch of other stuff happens. John attacks Abigail's character, revealing that she and the other girl were caught dancing in the woods. Um, naked. Danforth, who's the investigator, questions Abigail and then she's like, oh no, Mary has, is bewitching me. And John's having none of Abigail's platitudes and calls her a whore, confesses their affair and says that Abigail is trying to murder Elizabeth so that she may dance with me on my wife's grave. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Bad times. Danforth brings Elizabeth to confirm the story, but Elizabeth's never told a lie in her goddamn life, right? So, like, she's like, no, like, that, that can't be possible, you know? So they throw out John accusation and like affair story because Elizabeth didn't say that it was true. Which is like, yeah, the wife didn't know about the affair. Big surprise. Shocking. Shocking. Then hysteria and confusion happens. Everybody's running around like claiming that Mary's attacking them with a bird that nobody can see. Mary's sentenced to hang. So John declares like seeing this madness unfold that God is dead and he's arrested because he, by saying God is dead, he's swearing allegiance to Satan and therefore or he must be a witch. Of course, because people who don't believe in God definitely believe it in and worship Satan. Yeah, because Mary was like, he harbors the devil and then like, you know, snowballed into something else. Hale decides to quit the courts. He's like, fuck this. I'm not dealing with this nonsense anymore. Clearly, you guys don't need me. You have your own agenda. Act four, which is the last act. It's a four part story. Um, happens three months later. Tituba's losing her mind because she's in a cell, you know, with a bunch of other people who are being accused and going to die. A bunch of people have turned to alcoholism because they're fed up with the witch trials, essentially. Like, half the town has been charged with witchcraft. Most people have confessed and have been given lengthy prison terms, property seized. Twelve have been executed and seven more are to be hanged at sunrise if they refuse to confess, Mm -hmm. including John Proctor. In this act, this is when Giles gets tortured to death. And then Abigail, because she's a little bitch, fearful of her consequences of her lies, disappears to England. Wow. So she didn't even stick around to see what happened. No, she fucked around, but she did not find out. She didn't even face the music. No. Wow. Yeah. So during that time, Hale comes back and he's meeting with the victims, you know, trying to impart them to like, please, like, don't let yourself be killed. I don't want this 
on my like conscious uh paris has a similar type of call what is it like a call to faith kind of thing of like oh no like all these people are gonna die because of me so he's trying to repent by having them confess kind of thing Mm -hmm. hale is telling danforth who's the judge person like please pardon the seven remaining people and like put everything behind you and danforth's like no like if i did that like if i postponed and pardoned people like how would people see the veracity behind me hanging the other i don't know how many was it 12 so because he's already done it he doesn't want to go back on it kind of thing so it's like the sunken cost fallacy it's like instead of saving these people that you still can save you just double down on your wrong thing yeah that you're already doing that sounds really familiar to a certain sector of people today right so john and elizabeth speak and say goodbye and tell each other that they love them and they're forgiven to each other and that kind of stuff the courts are kind of like forcing him to try and confess and john's like i'm not refusing to confess out of like my religious convictions but because i hate the people who work for this court nice yeah john like agrees finally to confess to engaging in witchcraft um deciding that he has no desire or right to be a martyr so kind of being like fine i'll say that i did witchcraft lose my property whatever and then they're like okay Okay, cool. But you need like to testify to the guilt of the other holdouts and the people who are executed. John's like, nah, I'm only reporting to my own sins. And they allow John to sign a written confession to be displayed on the church door. John's like, I think everybody else had a verbal confession and I can also have a verbal confession. My kids don't need to see their name like on the church door. Like that's going to be like a stigmatized thing. Like we're not doing this. You can't make me the person here, right? Eventually John's like, you know what? Fuck you guys and rips up the confession that he had signed because he's like, I'm not, we're not putting this on the church door. Um, He's led away to be hanged. Hale and Paris, you know, and Thomas Putnam, they're all like trying to get him to like confess and they beg him because, you know, he's going to be dying and Hale like feels super guilty about it pleads with Elizabeth to talk to John tell him like you know you just need to confess whatever and she's like nah he's found like what the goodness in his heart like this is what he's gonna do he's not gonna confess to something he didn't do and eventually John was hanged sad and that's that's the crucible so it's like very accurate to history yeah it's pretty accurate to history like of course some people have been like dramatized I guess but it's also pretty accurate to the actual Red Scare and the interviews that the house committee on on american activities was having because they were forcing people to confess to other people's sins and naming them and like if you didn't you could go to jail kind of like what happened to actual arthur miller like he was condemned to jail because he wouldn't say who else was a communist yeah it's a really a testament to how these tactics don't work and just coerce false confessions because if you threaten to take away someone's property freedom what have you and you say if you just confess will leave you be Mm -hmm. you're going to get false confessions and you're also going to keep perpetuating this like cycle of believing this thing is happening even if it's not yeah it's like how torturing suspected terrorists results in just a bunch of false confessions so there was also um, another play written by a german jewish novelist and playwright leon frischenwanger my german is not good very good about the salem witch trials he was also a left-wing intellectual and it was again i'm gonna butcher the german van oder der tuffel in boston um delusion or the devil in boston is what it's called it's also an allegory for the persecution of communists Mm -hmm. that's a story very interesting another thing i would like is to situate this in history with other things we've read because this did happen a very very long time ago it happened in 1692 but at least for me when 
I think of American history versus British history within the canon of white people English literature. I have a hard time reconciling those two timelines because I always think that old-timey English history happened a long time before old-timey American history, Mm. but tis not the case. No, like this happened within the same century as Shakespeare was talking about swords and making a whole bunch of dick jokes. Yeah. And that's kind of the reason that the Puritans left England is because they were all like, oh no, you can't talk about that in public. Yeah. They were all like stuffy. So they went and they brought their stuffiness to America. And then a lot of the old timey American literature also, I think, whitewashes the history of America because the Native Americans are either they're treated as a relic of the past when they're very much a living, breathing culture still in all of North America, or they're treated as like just someone who's not there at all. Yeah. Like it was just a barren land and the Puritans came and just occupied it and they were surrounded by blank wilderness. It was a blank slate. Puritans found America. Like, no, people already lived here. Yeah. Basically, like anytime that there's old timey, like colonial America, I think it's going to be bad times because the Puritans were all around like a bad time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of things that are, are weird to think about, but like Hamilton and Bridgerton have like the same king. The what? The same king. King? What? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Like I know it's all fiction or whatever, what? but like, yeah. <laughs> so King Charles, the George, the king who has dementia in Bridgerton yeah. is the same. King George. Yeah. What? Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. No. Yeah. <gasps> Oh my god, that's so wild to me. See, it's so difficult for me to reconcile these two timelines. They were happening simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Like at different points during his life, obviously, but yeah. Yeah. Also important to note, England did eventually get stuffy. They weren't really that stuffy. They were about certain things. Yeah, they had their whole Protestantism thing going on for them. Yeah. Like, and and obviously there was still like a lot of sexism, a lot of racism, a lot of we're bigotry, not giving a lot England of homophobia. A free pass. We're not giving England a free pass, but they were a little more fast and loose with like talking about sexuality and stuff. Yeah, but they did get stuffy again in the Victorian era, and then a lot of progress for women was backtracked, and like gender, and just a, a bunch of a bunch of things were back tracked in the Victorian era. We're still so. dealing with the fucking Victorian influence today. We still are dealing with the Victorians. We are so hard on the Victorians and you know what? They fucking they deserve it. They deserve it. Yeah. They so deserve it. Victorians. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that to us. We have so many options to talk about in the future now. We could talk about the adaptation of The Crucible. We could talk about Moitsitsuba, which is the mm. book that I read about Tsitsuba. I think, I don't know if that's the original or if the original is the English version. I tend but either way, we can talk about it. I read it in French. And there's the Cotton Mather's account of the Salem witch trials firsthand from the perspective of one of the fake witch hunters. Cool. So lots of good stuff on the horizon. We are two years in and we are not going anywhere for a while. So please stick around. We have at least another two years in us. I think, you know, if we can get a full university degree out of it, we'll be good. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. So do you have a rating scale for me? Oh, goodness. Or do you want me to give a rating scale for you? No, I I have a rating scale for you. I just have to think about it. On a scale of pretending to be chased around by a yellow bird level of witchcraft to actually drinking blood and dancing naked in the woods level of witchcraft, how witchcrafty would you say that this play was? Did you mention the yellow bird thing? 
I didn't mention it was yellow, but when Abigail thinks that Mary's being a bitch, she says that Mary's conjuring up a yellow bird that's chasing her around the room. That's so random. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that it's three teen girls pretending to seize in the courtroom mm. level of witchcraft. Yeah. I don't know if that happened in the play, but that's one of the key events of the Salem witch trials is there were these three teen girls who just kind of rolled around the ground and they were like, oh, the witches are cursing us because they wanted attention. Yeah. Abigail. And a lot of the witch trials were actually based on the testimonies of those three girls who wanted attention. Abigail. <laughs> oh, is it Abigail? Abigail Williams is a oh, real character. She was 11 at okay. the time. Um, and she's known as the first accuser in the Salem witch trial. Like young children that they shouldn't have been lending so much credence to. Um, but yeah, I think because it's a lot of like just people believing people they shouldn't believe and people just outright lying and saying BS claims and just obviously like no witchcraft present at all. Yeah. How would you rate it? On my own rating scale, I think I would rate it as like like making a, a voodoo doll and stabbing Abigail in the back with it. You know, like, okay. like it was, it's a solid play. I really enjoyed it when I first read it. And the more I learn about like communism in the United States and how it's perceived and whatever, I think it still has that lasting power of you read it today and you're like, oh my freaking God, they're doing it again. You know? Yeah. It's the whole thing of like, if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. Yeah. And we have never learned from history. Never, we have ever. continuously failed to learn from history. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is a lack of proper education about history and just refusal of people to think critically about it. Yeah. So that's fun. Thank you for bringing that to us, Amy. And thank you everyone for listening. And thank you for joining us into our third year of Unsighted Podcast. They're so cute. We have a podcast. <laughs> if you would like to talk to us, talk about Halloween or witch trials, add us on Twitter or Instagram at Unsighted Pod. And we hope to see you in two weeks. And as always, we're excited, unavailable. Well, I called you for a very important reason. Um, to tell you I went on a hike. <laughs> I got engaged. Oh my god! You did it! <laughs> I'm so happy for you! Oh my god, tell me how it happened, tell me everything! Um, <laughs> so, uh, we, uh, we went on a hike, um, to like the first hike we have ever been on. And then we were sitting at the lookout, and we ate some Tyrael mix, and he uh, he proposed, and I said yes, and then I didn't cry, and then I was like, why am I not crying? And then I cried about not crying. <laughs> I'm crying. You're glowing. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Yay. <laughs>